is so familiar that most of us can quote it. You think, why are we going back to that? Something so basic. Well, for a title, I want to call this God's Grace and Our Responsibility. So this has two aspects. This, these passages here, the first part of them speak of what God is doing. The second part applies to an effect it has on our lives. The effect it should have. See, cause and effect. There is a cause. God causes. The effect of it should change us. And God's grace, as you know, is, is receiving something from God that we don't deserve. And we can't possibly earn it. It's, it's just a favor of God. And God loves us because he chose to do so. That's the only reason he loves us. We were sinners under the control of a sinful nature. It held us in bondage. We were actually slaves to sin. But God sent his son, as sinless, to die for our sins. So if you're saved this morning, it's because God called your name. God drew you to himself by the Holy Spirit. God gave you the faith to believe. And God gave you his precious salvation. All the grace of God. So all the glory goes to God, for we are his new creation. And again, why did he do that? Just so we could go to heaven? Yes, that's part of it. But he did to transform us into his representatives in this world. Because before we get to heaven, we have a responsibility here on this earth to be what he, he called us to be. And we have choices. We can make choices. And when Jesus was on earth, he went about doing good, obeying his Father's every command. So Jesus in us calls us to, calls us to do the same thing. Calls us to, to, <coughs> excuse me, to do good and to obey our Father's commands. Therefore, as it said, we should, we should be gracious and do good and be faithful and obey God's word. That's the effect it should have, that his grace should have on us. Well, you and I are obviously not Jesus, and we never will be. But we have been recreated to be like him and glorify him and honor him with our whole being. That's, that's the purpose, our purpose on this, on this earth. So God's grace is love that stoops down. One man said this, love that goes upward is worship. Love that goes horizontal is affection. Love that goes to the undeserving and stoops down is grace. See, God's grace stooped down to us. Jesus was willing to stoop down and become one of us, to lower himself. Although he's fully God, he was fully man. And he had all the temptations that we have coming against him. And yet he lived a sinless life 
and died for a sin-filled people. God's love sent the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sinful nature and point out that we were on our way to hell. We can't, we can't soften that up. See, never take that for granted. Never take it as a small thing. Somebody says, well, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I got my ticket. I'm good. No. The wages of sin is death. Not only physical death, but the spiritual death. Total separation from God. Tormented by the fires of hell. That's how real it is. Hell is as real as heaven. And without the grace of God, we would all go there. You don't have to start sinning to go there. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're on your way. You're, all, you're on your way. And Scripture says in, in Romans 3, which is a quote from the Psalms, there is none righteous, no, not one. You know, Faye and I were talking to a lady one time about her salvation. We asked her about her salvation experience. She said, I've always been saved. She said, I've just always been saved. And she wouldn't have it any other way. Either she hadn't read her Bible or she had a hardened heart and she wouldn't receive what God was pointing out to her. And one day, if something doesn't change, if God doesn't prick her heart, it'll be too late. It'll be too late to be saved. But Jesus said, no man can come to the Father, to me, unless the Father draws him. So I'm thinking, how precious is the grace that drew us to Jesus? And how precious is that grace that continues to draw us, continues to deal with us, and, and, and keep us in line? See, we may know some important people in this world, but Jesus is the most important person that ever lived on this planet. No question about it. No one is more deserving of our total commitment than Jesus. No one has ever died for us except Him. The Holy Spirit draws a person to Jesus by pricking their conscience. You ever had your conscience pricked? I hope you have. But that's the Holy Spirit. And he does that until we see with our spiritual eyes how wicked our heart is before God. And it brings us to repentance. You know, until you know that you're wrong, you'll never desire to change. So God has to, God has to show us the evil in us. Even Miss Goody Two-Shoes, you ever heard of her? She still needs to repent and turn to Jesus. See, a person has to confess. He has to totally admit, I am a sinner. I deserve hell. Please forgive me. Save me from my sins. I receive Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. See, that's the greatest day in a, in a human's life. That's the greatest thing that can ever happen to a person. And I like to term... I receive Jesus. He accepts me. I don't like the term that I accept him. I receive him. He accepts me just like I was. But 
he's not going to leave me like he found me. That's where we need to change. So when a person comes to Jesus with a truly repentant heart, Jesus forgives you, washes you clean, but there's more to it than that. In John 3, 3, Jesus said, you must be born again. There has to be a supernatural, divine experience that God does in the heart of a person and changes something on the inside. If that doesn't happen, your salvation experience won't last. You won't, you won't continue on. We've seen people and known people who have made a profession of faith, supposedly. And it's not long till they go right back where they were. Somehow the repentance wasn't true. And God didn't come in and change that heart. Enabling them. See, God's grace enables us, after he saves us, he enables us to walk this walk of faith and trust in him. Christ comes and dwells in us to begin that change. Oh, it's a lifelong process. You don't get too old to change. God shows us things all along through our life as, as in His time as we can deal with it and changes us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We used to sing this song, you know, little by little. He's changing me little by little. He's changing us. <coughs> For an example of God's grace upon a certain person, I want to talk about a man named Saul, who God changed his name to Paul. See, he was he was a Pharisee. He was he was religious as he can get, and he wore a religious suit. You know what that means? That means he he looked religious. You know, he acted religious. Maybe he wore his little robe and all these little tassels on it to impress somebody. But yet he was a self-righteous man in his religious suit trying to earn his way to heaven by keeping the, the laws of Moses and the traditions of man. Sometimes we get caught up in that. We forget that that, save, that salvation came in a moment. We're not trying to earn it. We're trying to live as a result of what he's already done. That's what he wants. <clears throat> and even though the law is good, it only shows us sin. It reveals sin to us. And we need it. The law is still good. Good. <clears throat> because he shows us that we can't live it. And we need a Savior. So Paul, when he heard about all these people call themselves Christians and this salvation by faith without works. He got upset about it. He thought this was rebellion against God. So he, he took it upon himself to go about getting rid of these Christians. And he, he truly did. He went about putting them in prison. He even stood by and watched as, as some of his comrades there killed Stephen because of his faith in Jesus. That's how determined he was to work against Jesus. But on, on a, he, he went and decided to go to Damascus 
the city and he was going to take everybody that claimed to be Christian, put them in jail or whatever he had to do to stop this. Men and women didn't matter. But on the way, something unusual happened. Grace stooped down. Grace stooped down to the Apostle Paul. If you would turn to Acts chapter 9. Read verses 1 through 9. Again, a familiar story, but we see the grace of God here. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest. Threatening out threatenings and slaughter. I mean, he was determined to stop this if he had to kill all these people. And, and it, he went to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul. Why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which stood journey with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him unto Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. That's quite an experience. You know, God used it. His, his three days of blindness to keep Paul still. See, God has his ways of working. So Paul needed to be still <laughs> and stop all this and, give, and have time to focus and repent and yield to God's will and find out what his calling was. For Jesus had a calling. And you know, the effect of the cause here was God. The effect was a transformed life. This man was never the same. And in fact, his word is still affecting us today. <clears throat> if you go ahead and look at verses 19 and 20 in the same chapter. And when he had received meat he was strengthened then was Paul certain days with the disciples which read Damascus and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he was the son of God how about that transformation yeah. how about that amazing grace in a short time he went from the persecutor to the persecuted and he preached Jesus Christ the son of God to whom much is given, much is required. And so Jesus allowed him to have a thorn in the flesh, 
to keep him from getting too proud of all the revelation that God was going to give him. And in fact, he wrote the better part of the New Testament. You know, we don't really know what this thorn in the flesh was, so we're speculating. And you can read commentaries and you can get a lot of speculation. But I believe it was just the constant harassment of the enemy working through these Pharisees and religious leaders. The constant persecution. And he prayed three times that God would remove this. And when the answer he got, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, sometimes we want, we want out of everything. We want instant. We want instant out. I don't like this, Lord. I want out. And we don't stop to think, what is God wanting to do here? What is he doing in all this? Even though I'm suffering. See, Paul had a great responsibility put on him. I have got to go and, and endure whatever this thorn is the rest of my life. And yet I cannot keep my mouth shut. I've got to preach Jesus Christ because he's put that in my heart. That's, that's my responsibility. He could have cried. He could have said, I'm not going to do it. It's too hard. I don't, want, I don't like it. I don't want it. That's, that's us. But he, he endured and he, he went forth and he took his responsibility in spite of the suffering that he had to bear. <coughs> So we as born-again Christians in our day have the responsibility of living in the light that Jesus has given us. We are the light of the world. And there's that word should. We should be different from the world. So different that it's obvious that we have been with Jesus and He is our Lord, Savior, and Master. We are Jesus' possession. He has bought us with a great price. He has every right to expect us to be faithful to his word, to be obedient, not to earn our salvation again, but to demonstrate to all around us that he has transformed our lives and we are his disciples. And they should be able to see Jesus in us. in our speech, in our actions, in our response. And I keep repeating this, but again, we're not talking about earning anything. We're talking about living a day-to-day -day life because we are saved. But we're all challenged every day by the world and the devil about living in obedience to our Lord. We've been freed from this bondage of sin, yet Jesus gives us the freedom to choose. He doesn't want robots. He wants us to obey him because we love him for what he has done for us. So we, we can choose to obey. We can choose to disobey. You know, some people say, well, I didn't do it. The devil made me do it. No, really, he had a lot of influence, but you chose you chose. We choose every day. All day long we make choices. Some of them are so automatic we're grounded in, in the Lord we make the right without even thinking about it. Some things though we think about it and sometimes we do it 
even though we know we're not supposed to, we do it wrong anyway. That's that old, in, that's that old self in there. But we'll be faithful because we choose to be faithful, or we'll sin because we choose to sin. We are who we are by the choices we've made. And as you very well know, sin has an attraction. If it didn't, we wouldn't sin. But sin has an attraction. It plays on our natural desires to please ourselves. God gives us the liberty to choose what is right, but he does not prevent us from doing wrong. So just as we believe in God, we've got to believe in the devil and believe that he desires our soul and he is going to do everything he can to cause us to sin. So we've got to resist that influence that comes on us. For example, just a simple example, God gave us eyes to see. Our eyes are there to enjoy his creation, to work, to play, share the gospel, read his word. All these things are good. But the devil comes along and says, hey, hey, look at this. Check this out. Read this. Read this. Oh, you saw it on the news. Check into that. Check into that. See what that's all about. See, the devil is trying to get us to use our God-given eyes to sin against our God. Right then and there, we have to make a split-second decision. Because things pop up that you're not expecting. Are you going to Are you going to in, investigate that? Or are you going to walk away from it? Turn aside, put it away. We have to make a split-second decision. And that sin is not only attraction, and attraction, it's an enticing. He uses our fleshly, old flesh desires to entice us and draw us. And unless we're grounded in God's word, unless we're in close communion with Jesus, our old flesh will make a bad choice. Did you know that the devil is in your cell phone? You know he's hiding in there? You don't believe me? Oh yes, he's in there. Cell phones are one of the greatest things that ever was invented. I mean, they are so handy, they are so good in times of problems, in times of trouble. But at the same time, when you hold that cell phone in your hand, it's as dangerous as holding a stick of dynamite with a fuse lit. And the problem is everybody in America that's over five years old has got one. <laughs> and there's probably some four-year-olds along the way. And boy, I'll tell you, that, that is, even though, you know, be careful when your child, you feel they're old enough to have a cell phone. Give them some wisdom and some instruction and watch over them. Because there is so much in there that uh, even the internet is on the phones now, so you can get even deeper trouble. But have you ever looked on your phone for something like the weather? Or you're looking for information from Google or eBay, and suddenly there pops up something that you didn't ask for? See, not long ago I was looking on eBay for some parts for my truck. And out of nowhere popped up this lady. Now it wasn't a lady, it was a woman. 
and she wasn't wearing much more than a fresh plucked chicken. <laughs> you know how bare a fresh plucked chicken looks? This was really close. That's the best example I could think of. But I had to make an instant decision. Okay, do I put the J's on this? Do I push the eject, delete, I'm out of here, turn this thing off? That's what I had to do quickly. Well, see, to do otherwise is a bad choice, it's a bad decision. See, here, here's the problem our eyes are cameras. We take pictures all day long, and a lot of them we put in our gallery. And the bad ones are really hard to delete. You can push that delete button of bad experiences so many times, and, and sometimes they won't go away. And it's our responsibility to guard what we take pictures of. See, sometimes something flashes up like that. You, you, you just got, I couldn't help it being on there. But, I, but I've got I've to make a quick decision and, and, and turn it off. And you've heard the old expression, curiosity killed the cat? You've heard that, haven't you? Well, curiosity can cause us to sin in, in a heartbeat. See, you have an article that pops up on there, hmm, wonder what that's all about. Maybe I better read that. So maybe there wasn't anything exactly evil in that thing you read, but it's influencing you to believe something that's a lie. To believe something the world is pushing, the world is directing and influencing and wanting to change us. And you see, God is watching. God is watching. The world is watching us. And we're watching each other. Not as a little policeman, but we want to see true Christianity in each other. It helps us. It convicts us even. When I see somebody that I'm, I, I didn't do too good in this area, but I see them doing good, I think, man, I got to straighten up. I got to do better. And when one of my grandsons was a little guy, he's about four years old. He was at the house. He did something he shouldn't. I said, you shouldn't do that. God didn't want you to act that way. His response, God can't see me in the house. <laughs> see, that's, that's a natural response from a four-year-old. But what about when adults say the same thing? You don't say it, but, we, but we, our actions show that God, you, God doesn't see me right now, so I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna have this little fit right here. I'm going to do this, and I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. See, God's talking to me as much as he is anybody. See, I'm a work in progress. You're a work in progress. And we will be until the day we go up and, and be with him. But, <clears throat> you know, I was working on this. I kept making notes. Somehow, other things just kept coming. I rewrote them about three times. And now I've got some little side notes on top of that. But anyway, you know, as parents, we know that sometimes children act kind of ugly. We treat, try to teach them right. Sometimes we have to get the paddle out. See, we do it because we love them. 
even though they don't like it, one day they'll understand. Because all you got to do is have children of your own. And as soon as you have children of your own, you understand why you got spankings. But there is within every child a little bit of a rebellious spirit that sometimes wants to pop up. So when one of my sons, I won't tell you his name, but it, his name started with a J. Anyway, <laughs> when he was a little guy, about this, thing, about this three or four years old, I told him to pick up his toys, put them in his bag. He just stood there and looked at me. And I said, I said, pick up your toys and put them in the bag. And right there, he had a meltdown. You know, one of them dancing, crying, squalling. And believe it or not, he said, no. So right then and there, I gave him a choice. I said, you can either pick up the toys, put them in the bag, and walk away from here in the same condition you are now. <laughs> or you can pick the toys up and walk away with your bottom on fire. Because you're going to pick up the toys. And would you believe he chose to have his bottom on fire before he picked up the toys? <laughs> Unfortunately, sometimes adults can do the same with our Heavenly Father. He says, don't do that. And we say, I got to. I, I, I just want to do that. And he says, you know what? You need a spanking. And I'm going to give you one. Anybody in here ever had a spanking from God besides me? That's, that's, I hate to, for you to have to admit it, but it's a good thing that he did. That's why we're still here. Because when we got rebellious, he spanked us. And even a 79-year-old man has meltdowns sometimes. My wife might be grinning on this, but it shouldn't happen. But sometimes self gets in there and we just, you know, throw one of those little meltdown fits. And later on, we're so embarrassed by what we did. And God has to chasten us. If you would, look at Hebrews chapter 12. Let's just start with verse 6. This is love and a spanking. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are illegitimate and not sons. Wow, that, that's a powerful statement. Further, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father's spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now the chastening for the present seems to be 
Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it doth yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So the spanking brings out the correction and the righteousness that, that God wants in us and he wants to see in us. Jesus has every right to expect faithfulness from us. Be thankful for God's spanking grace. You know, it's amazing grace, but it's, it's a spanking grace. And it's good. But you know, too, it's our responsibility in, in obeying Christ. It requires two things. Our love and humility. See, we're going to obey Christ because we love him. Because he first loved us. Because he first vividly displayed his love on that cross and dying for our sins. So we must vividly display our love or there is no love. Love has to have action. Love has to have a response. So we've got, we've got to respond faithfully. And, and what he did should, it should, there's that word should, it should compel us to desire to love him and, and display it by our choices and our actions that we, in our lives. And it takes humility. We have to humble ourselves to do God's will. But sometimes we don't, we, we feel like that our will is more important than his. And it takes humility. The self-life has to die and bow down in submission to Jesus. God's love for us is unconditional. It's not based on performance. What do I mean by that? It's just like our love for our children. If one of our children does something really wrong, they do something really evil, they do something really bad, they wound up in prison. We're grieved, but we never stop loving them. Why? Because they're our children. Well, God is the same way toward us. We don't do anything to cause him to love us. He loves us because he wants to. He chose us. We are his children. He's our father. He doesn't kick us out because we fail. But he corrects us. He corrects us. And our love for him must be demonstrated in our obedience back to him. Because love without actions, again, is not love. The rewards of obedience are not only to be received, received one day in heaven, but they are re received right now in his present life. Because obedience brings a clear conscience, peace, and joy in this life. And there's nothing better than having a clear conscience. Because if you know you've got something in your life that's wrong, it's going to hinder your faith. It's going to hinder everything you do until you deal with it. And that's why God spanks us. Amen. So grace is a voice that calls us, to, calls us to change and then it gives us the power to actually do it. So God is involved in all of everything about us. 
even our actions and our choices, but we still are responsible to make those good choices. So when God brings to your mind something that's in your life that's mis misbehavior, it's a sin, it's an attitude that's coming against God, don't make excuses. Don't argue with God. Just disagree with God. Say, yes, Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. Forgive me and help me to change. Help me to be what you want. And determine in our hearts to not do these things again. And Jesus, who is within us, will forgive us, take away that guilt, and we can walk in newness and restored relationship with Him, actually, once we keep our, our lives clean. But we have a choices, we have a responsibility to make good choices. And we, every day, every day, and self, self will never die. It'll always be there. And we have to deal with it every day. Every day is a new opportunity to serve the Lord or serve ourselves. But God is calling us to follow Him, to be His disciples, to be as much like Him as we can. And you know, if we're, we consider ourselves to be the elect of God, chosen, it should be in our heart to do everything we can to make sure we are the elect. That should be a motivation in our hearts and in our lives. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your long-suffering with us. Your constant working on our lives to bring us what you want us to be. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.